Uh, we just concluded a series that we called the Values, Border City Church Values. And again, we're a church plant, so we went um, for 12 solid weeks and spoke into key values so that we're all on the same page as far as how this church is being built. So how many of you found that to some degree helpful? I hope. Good. And um, then we had Tyron Daniel, who was here two weeks ago, and he shared Tyron Daniel is the leader of the NCMI or New Covenant Ministries International team that this church partners with on a global basis. He's the leader. And uh, we had the privilege of him coming through here and sharing with us. Uh, there was kind of an induction moment where he f- more formally set me and Minda in, in the pastoral role of the church. Uh, but there was also a, a Saturday night kind of gathering of, of some people that where he just, we ate dinner and he, and he just downloaded for two straight hours um, some really amazing key things. And um, I feel like we would be amiss if we just kind of keep on going with business as usual. I think that there's some things that I want to kind of hit pause and say, let's really take this in and, um, and uh, absorb it and digest it together. Is that okay? So uh, what he spoke of out of primarily is Isaiah 41. And uh, if you want to, you can open up your Bible apps or your Bible or whatever, Isaiah 41. So the key kind of visionary scripture for this particular church has been Isaiah 61. And that's not something that we just kind of picked out of the air. That's something that we feel strongly that God spoke to us. Uh, and I don't say that lightly. Um, and if, you, if you're not used to that kind of terminology, we're not crazy, but God does speak, right? And, and uh, we are his children and he, and he delights in communicating with us. And surely if we're planting a church, we should do so on the basis of something that he has said, not just on our own whim. He spoke Isaiah 61. And uh, I believe that this Isaiah 41 text is very poignant and prophetic for us as a church. So having said that, I just want to read through it together, just a few of the verses in that, in that passage, and share some thoughts that I feel like are, are important for us. Ty felt like he, he got this word for us. Tyron. Verse 17, Isaiah 41. The poor and needy seek water, but there is none. Their tongues fail for thirst. I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. So I just want to pause there, that first verse. We know Isaiah 61 is that the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the... Say it louder, man. Give me some proper feedback. Thank you. Everybody's so bashful sometimes here. Poor. And that is the key visionary text, as I said, of this church. It's this idea of the poor. How do you know it's not just the economically broken that that would include? Poor speaks of a much broader, any kind of human brokenness be it a broken marriage, be it I was abused by my father growing up, be it that I'm, I've just lost my job and I'm financially poor, the whole gamut, the gospel goes to the poor. And here God is speaking to the poor and needy. And I want to say this, Border City Church, just as we see in this, in this scripture, I, the Lord, will hear them. And there are poor and needy in the city of Detroit, and the Lord has heard them, 
And one of the things that he did was he spoke Border City Church into existence. Let me take that a step further. He spoke you and me coming together to do this thing into existence so that he through us could do what he wants to do for the poor. So verse 18, I will open up rivers and desolate heights. This is what the Lord does. I love how the Lord is so not intimidated by human depravity and not limited by our own limitations. How many of you ever felt like your life is a wreck? Anyone? Okay. And God is so not intimidated by that. In fact, he's the opposite. He thrives in the context of impossible circumstances because he has absolute total power over them. He, it's not even a thing for him. In fact, the only thing is our willingness to follow him through to his plan of victory. And so he's saying, I will, listen to what he'll do for the poor, open rivers and desolate heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water. Now, let me ask you guys a question. How many, how often do you see a pool of water in the desert? JJ? JJ does see it. Okay. Anybody else? <laughs> it's not, it's not, it's not a common thing. Am I, am I right? I will make a wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. And so here in this city of Detroit, the nation, and some of you are from here in Detroit. I'm not from Detroit. I'm, I'm, I'm a new Detroiter. Uh, I'm newly Detroited. And let me tell you something about this city from the outside looking in. The, the world has historically known over the past number of decades about this city. And when they think of it, they don't think of wonderful things. They think of what once was, and they think of the horror and the things, the images that you see on TV of how broken the city is and, and, uh, and poverty and associated with that. God is saying, in that place, and now I know that there's an economic revival that's already begun. I know that there's exciting things that are happening, but that's kind of on one side of the story. There is still yet much more to happen, not just with with new business and those kinds of things with the people who have long been here that they would become a testimony to the rest of the world of what God can do. And so when the media has projected Detroit one way, all the media is doing is setting it up for people to be aware of how depraved it is, depraved it is so that one day God would be able to show through the media to the world what he has done. And I believe you and I have the privilege of walking with God to be a part of that. How many of you want to be a part of that? God's favorite is the most broken. So just having said that, can I share with you two paragraphs of prophetic words? Again, please, if you're not used to the prophetic or maybe you've even been, had bad experiences with the prophetic, please don't write this off. Uh, these are trusted people, I think, that are well-respected and that have authentic prophetic gifts, which is in the Scripture all over the New Testament and Old Testament that's normal. Prophetic gifts, right? Okay, so there's a lady named Cindy Jacobs. Um, she may do church very differently than I, but I've got great respect for the authenticity of her gift. I think it was earlier this year, listen to this, what she said. 
in a recent gathering of church leaders, the inner cities of America and the areas in which Satan has built his strongest, his greatest strongholds will begin to rebuild. I love the fact that she used that word because it's Isaiah 61 verse 4. We'll, we'll rebuild and the revivals in such cities as Detroit and Chicago will astound the news. God says, I will not forget the inner cities. I can grab a hold of that. There is a uh, passed on to me by my friend Kurt, by my friend Kurt Opel earlier in the year. He had a friend who passed this on to him, a recording of a guy named Graham Cook, again, another prophetic, well-respected prophetic minister, was sharing, not even talking about anything to do with Detroit. He wasn't in Detroit. He wasn't talking to people from Detroit. He's just sharing this message about walking in your inheritance. And all of a sudden, he starts to reference Isaiah 61. Now, how many of you know, I mean, have heard Isaiah 61 here? I mean, are (laughs) like till we're blue in the face. And that that is with great intention on our part. It it is the defining visionary scripture of this church. He begins to share about Isaiah 61 out of almost context in this message. And I took this excerpt. Let me read you verbatim what he says. Here in Isaiah 61, you, you will rebuild ancient ruins. You will raise up former devastations. You will go to Detroit and make something happen. You will go where generations have been desolated and you will go with something. You will go with more than food and provision. You will go with an anointing. Something is going to happen in that place because you're there. Because when you're in Detroit, you will be the living embodiment of Isaiah 61. You're going to restore a ruined city, repair some desolated people. You're going to actually be be there raising up people to see something new and different. I think you can see yourself. In, 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 in that prophetic message. You're, you're, God is doing something. We're called to be a part of it. So let's go on to in, in, the, in the next couple of verses in Isaiah 41. You okay? Verse 19. This is how God is going to res- respond to the cries of the poor. I will plant in the wilderness the cedar and the acacia tree, the myrtle and the oil tree, I will set in the desert the cypress tree and the pine and the box tree together, that they may see and know and consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this and the Holy One of Israel has created it. I was talking to my friend Michael there in the back earlier. Oftentimes with a scripture like this, we can just read, it, read past it simply because it's not straightforward. If you're like me, I tend to, to get the New Testament more than the Old Testament because it tends to be more straightforward. We're talking about acacia trees and myrtle trees and oil trees. I don't even know what we're talking about, right? But uh, something that Ty Daniel, when he was here, was sharing, he brought it out and made it so simple. How often do you find these trees in the desert? What do you think? I'm not even going to answer you anymore. Mickey, zero. Yeah, they, these trees don't belong in the desert. And, uh, and Tyron was saying that he's no ecological, uh, you know, uh, uh, master of, of ecology, and neither, neither am I. But these trees don't belong in the desert, but they don't belong with each other. Now, let me, well, this is the context here. God hears the cry of the poor and he raises up these trees and puts them together and he puts them in the wilderness. My friends, that's you and me. We 
let's be real here, a lot of us in this room don't belong with each other. And it's, in other words, we wouldn't be friends if it weren't for something of God calling us here. And there's something that we can easily do when it comes to what we're doing, church, where we look at it through the lens of our natural eyes. So in other words, we see Jill, we see Tamora, we look at them as natural people. We see Michelle and Kurt, we look at them, we judge them, we categorize them, we box them as natural definitions of what we're used to, when in fact what is happening here is supernatural. It transcends our natural, I like these kind of people and I fit into this people and I don't fit in with those people and actually those people annoy me, I won't have anything to do with that. And God is saying, I'm going to raise up in the wilderness an acacia, a myrtle, an oil tree, a pine tree, and I'm going to fit them together. Why? Because they are going to be the resource for the cry of the poor. If we want to get further in the reason that God has called us together, this right here, learning to find one another and build community that transcends our natural differences is a very important step to becoming what we're called to be. And I want to ask this bold question, are you willing to do that? I'm not asking are you willing to be best friends with everybody in this room, because it won't happen, and, that's, and that is okay. But I am asking, are we willing to build and be open and receive? Why? Because there is another form of poor all around this city that is going to cause an even bigger stretch in our hearts to really be able to not just throw food at or resource, but to build community with. And right now, we need to get over even the more minor differences of connecting together so that we as a unit can be effective out there because bigger stretching is on its way. So can I even ask, just pause right now, I was going to do this later, but can I pause right now and ask you for, maybe it's awkward, look around every single person. I know you may lock eyes and that may be awkward. And ask yourself the question as you're looking around, is there anybody in here that I have written off in my heart? Not everybody's looking around. Is there anybody that I've written, uh, uh, that I've written out, written off, excuse me? Okay, you can stop looking at people because it's getting a little awkward now. How do we know that our heart is healthy towards people? Is it, is it that we're best friends and that we, you know, call each other on a weekly basis and talk? No, I've got three, a litmus test. How do you know if your heart is healthy? There should not be one person, if you're called to be a part of this church, not one person in this room that your heart isn't healthy towards. And here's how you know. Number one is, am I open to receive from them? If they have something, not to say that they're my mentor, but can I receive from them? If you can't receive from a person, that's not healthy. I can receive from my son, let me be honest. I have received from both of my sons. And I know their flaws. Don't you forget it. Okay, number two is am I open to giving to that person? If the, if, am, I, am I open to having a responsible posture towards that person that I want to help them? Or am I just kind of 
uh, after church on Sunday, I go hang out with this group and I talk to that person and we kind of form this circle and, uh, we, you know, those people are those people and, and we, you know, the twain shall never meet. Well, I'm not saying you should socialize and talk to every person in this room every time, but I am saying if that's an expression of us having written off, I, I, you and me don't mix, we're going to struggle in this city. I believe in the, in the city of Detroit and in the history of the city of Detroit is one of separation. One of the solutions that God has is unity that will only be found really by the kingdom of God in the context of his church, his people. Interestingly enough, another pastor that I respect very greatly, uh, Sonny, um, <laughs> I wanted to say Sonny and Cher, no, <laughs> Sonny Smith, who uh, pastors a church called Detroit Church, uh, was speaking on racial reconciliation and unity today. I think God's doing something in his church in Detroit. So let me, let me say this. How many of you know? Acts chapter 2. When God saw the cry of a broken humanity, not necessarily just economically poor, but a broken humanity, and he sent Jesus, and ultimately Jesus handed the baton over to the church to be the resource center to reach the rest of the world, how did that church begin? They started with 120 people in an upper room praying together, and the Bible says they came into one accord. And it was when they were in one accord and in unity, the Holy Spirit came upon them. They spilled out into the streets and they became the resource to the world that catalyzed the beginnings of this amazing phenomenon called the church and the spread of the gospel. What was it? What was the, what is the critical factor where it began? A word that starts with a U and ends with a Y and has, has knit or something in the middle? Unity. Can you all say that? Unity. That is, what, that is where we are right now. Forming unity first with him, having an open heart with Jesus. He is Lord, as Melanie said. The reality of his lordship, but then within that, being one together. And getting over those, those hurdles to, to be able to do that. And then the third one, sorry. The third, uh, yeah, thank you. He who finds a wife. Anyways. Um... The third one is that we're open not only to receiving from, not only giving to, but we're open to partnering with, working together in the context of the gospel. So you look around the room. Is there anybody that I'm not willing to receive from, not willing to give to, not willing to work alongside? Let's deal with that now. All it is is plugging up the, the, the progress. The Lord said, uh, so and you kids... How many kids do we have in the room? Raise your hand. How about down there? Awesome. You kids. What I just said, in case you didn't know, because I know not all of you maybe are listening to what I'm saying. You were not here the whole time. So he's playing hooky, and his sister was listening studiously, I am sure, to everything that I've been saying. What we were saying is that this church... And you kids, are you a part of this church or are you just like tagging along with your parents? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll ask my son then. John David, what are, you, are you a part of the church? Uh-huh. Yeah, what's the right answer? It's like, oh, I think so. Yes, awesome. You kids 
are a part of this church and therefore what we were just saying is that we all have a place to play and even if some of us feel like we don't fit in with that person or maybe I'm just a kid and I don't fit in with the adults, that I just read a scripture about how the church began and one of the things that was said in that very scripture when the church began, a guy named the Apostle Peter stood up and said that, um, that um, this is that which was prophesied by the prophet Joel, that in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons, how many sons do we have here? No, like sons as in like you've got your father or mother in the room. Your sons and your daughters, how many daughters do we have in here? Who's, no, no, like daughters like as in your parents are here in the room. <laughs> Not daughters of Jesus or God. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. So are you a son? That means you can prophesy to bless these people. Do we have a daughter here? Tallulah, are you a daughter? That means God can use you to prophesy, to speak to these people. Would you guys receive from Tallulah if she had something? God can do that and wants to do that. So you kids are as much a part of this as anyone else in this room. So let's move on. I just want to kind of end with this and then we're going to do a little activity to kind of, um, to kind of uh, bring it home. But I've been reading the book of Nehemiah because Isaiah 61 is all about rebuilding. The, they shall rebuild ruins, the desolations of many generations. And the book of Nehemiah, in case you're not familiar, is a, is a story of the Jews who had been exiled out of their home, had gone to Babylon, and then through the hand of God had the ability to return home and begin to rebuild what was a ruined city. And so I'm just gleaning from that in terms of what that means for us, in terms of rebuilding people's lives. And, what, and when Nehemiah came back into the city of Jerusalem, he surveyed the city, he took stock of everything that was wrong with the city, and then he gathered the people, the inhabitants, the Jews who were still living in that city, who had grown so used to being there, used to the walls being shattered, used to the temple being destroyed, and that's just kind of the way it is. How many of you know that we can start like, we can live like that, right? How many, of you, how many people in Detroit do you think are just used to well, that's what it was like for my parents and my parents' parents, and this is just kind of the way life is. When in fact, God wants to completely transform things. And Nehemiah gathered the people, those people together, and he said, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I believe that the Lord is having us to hear those words Again, in this season, come and let us build. How many of you are willing to do that? Come and build. We're not here, not come and sit in a Sunday meeting and say, I've ticked my church box. Come and build. Are we building homes? Maybe, but only in so much as a home is going to affect a person. We're building lives. And it begins with the, sit, the, 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 the heart and the inner person, not just the externals. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, all the people of Jerusalem responded, let us rise up and build. 
And I want to encourage you, let your response in this season be, let us rise up and build. In fact, if you want to even say that out loud right now, I know that's kind of cheesy, but I think we should say it anyway. Let us rise up and build. That's why we're here. And if this thing really is supernatural, if God has brought us together as an acacia and a myrtle and an oil tree to do something, then let's see it as supernatural. Let's not just go through motions. Let's have that attitude that says, let's get the job done and see this thing. Let us rise up and build, and then they set their hands to do this good work. I believe let us rise up and build speaks of these things. Intentionality, and uh, unified intentional purpose. Let's do this. Now, what are we building? Jason, will you tell me, what are, what are we building? Are we building walls to the city of Detroit? <laughs> if, if, give me a guess. What do you think that we're called to build? Are we people, exactly, making disciples? So when we say, let us rise up and build, that can be just something that we say. Let's understand what we're saying. Let us together rise up to build people, to rebuild ruins in people's lives. There's a catch to this. I know we're talking about those people out there. Does anybody in here have ruins? <laughs> So we're also building one another. We're building here with one hand here and one hand out there in the world. Blessing on both sides. We're building each other. This is what has struck me uh, this week. I feel like something that, have you ever had one of those moments where you know something and then all of a sudden you like know it all over again? Like you know it, uh, you know, like you, it's so obvious, sorry? You know it deeper, right. So this week I feel like Minda and I have spent quite a bit of time seeking the Lord about this church, about this call that we're talking about, about next steps for us as a church family and, and that kind of thing. And I just feel like something that is kind of left out to me is that when we talk about the poor in Detroit, we really have two different groups. One is the economically broken and in some cases, we may associate that with what some people around here called Old Detroit. So you got New Detroit, Old Detroit. How many of you have heard that expression before? So you got Old Detroit, historically associated with kind of economic brokenness. With it comes crime. With it comes things like increases of perhaps sex trafficking and broken down families and, and drug use and abuse and, and, and things that stem out of poverty here in Detroit and really all over the world. And all of us care deeply about that. But then you've got maybe something that's more like New Detroit. I'm not saying this applies to everybody in New Detroit, but you've got this infusion of more moneyed, more educated, new business-orientated people who are opportunists perhaps moving into the city and they oftentimes have an interest in social justice. In fact, it could be one of the reasons that they wanted to move to Detroit. But in many of these people, there is a spiritual brokenness. There is a disillusionment with Christianity. There is an offense and bad experiences that have happened in a church context. 
that caused these people to be highly distrustful of anything church or spiritual leadership. There is a bad experience. How many of you have ever seen the Saving Mr. Banks, I think it was called, with Tom Hanks about Mary Poppins? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. There's a scene where, where uh, uh, what was the author's name of, of Mary Poppins? Whoever wrote the Mary Poppins story is coming to meet Walt Disney to negotiate if he can turn her story into a movie. And he has her in a hotel and he has a fruit basket. And there's a particular type of fruit. I'm almost certain it was pears. It was what? Oranges. Was it oranges for sure? And she takes this orange and she starts throwing them out the window. And, she, and you're like, what kind of an ungrateful jerk is this? But as you go through, you find out that back in her childhood, she had a horrible experience with somebody who gave her oranges. Isn't that right? Or some Oh, she was going to give her alcoholic father an orange. She went to go get him an orange on his deathbed. He was an alcoholic. And when she came back, she had the orange, but daddy had passed away. And she hates oranges. There's pain associated with that orange. And many in this new Detroit have pain associated with church. And when you bring the orange of church to them, they throw it out and I hate oranges. And you're like, whoa, you ungrateful jerk. <laughs> I'm trying to help you. I mean, I'm not saying me, but do you understand what I'm saying? There's pain. Now, I would say in this room, there are some people in this room who hear what I just said and you have no idea what I'm talking about. I, what church bad experience? What? Why? What? They need to get over it. No, you need to understand what they've gone through. I can share with you what I have gone through in the context of church. And it has been the grace of God that I'm even in church, to be honest with you. So I don't even think I don't understand, but I am saying to some people in this room, you need to understand if we're going to be one in this room. Otherwise, you're not going to understand why people have an issue with church and why they're having attitudes and that kind of thing from time to time in this room. But then there are other people who may be in the camp that I'm describing. And I want to say this. If we are going to reach the economically poor, we need to allow God in the context of church to heal our spiritual brokenness so that we can be church as he has uh, called us to be and we can receive the gospel with trust in our hearts receive the gospel and let Jesus be to us who Jesus is and let his church be to us what he's called the church to be so that we can be the church to the city because that is the real solution that God has in response to the cry of the poor. It is not social justice. It's the gospel through the vehicle of the church. Human beings, that has always been the solution. In fact, the sin of man that separates man from God. What was the solution? Rodney? Jesus. And Jesus was a, is a person. God delights to use people, and that is the solution. And so I want us to understand those, those two camps, and, in, and just kind of bring this to a close. You know, how can we perhaps, how can we perhaps um, respond to this? Just a couple things that I want to say as far as that healing. I think that there are probably many things, but in terms of that healing of these new Detroit people, 
healing that I may need, healing that some in this room may need. What are the healings? Firstly, and most importantly, beyond anything, and this would apply to everybody in the room, passion for Jesus. I am not saying you need to have passion for Jesus. Turn your passion. I'm saying we need to see him as he is so that automatically in our heart the natural response is passion for him. Because the more we really see the real Jesus, the more our hearts are set ablaze with love and passion. And that passion will melt away the offense, the bad experiences, etc. Cool? And on that note, it is my intention when we get back from L.A., Usually God says something and sometimes that can redirect, but my plan is when we get back, we're going to be spending a number of weeks looking at Jesus as a church, what he did, who he is, and and what he is all about so that we can see afresh and new. Let that be what this church is built on, right? So that's one thing, but, but then secondarily, how are we healed? Actual real church community. Not just meetings, not just Sunday morning, but I want to encourage everybody, real church community. And then thirdly, do you have from your negative experiences any unforgiveness? Mel touched on that earlier because that would be definitely those three things, forgiveness. So release the people that hurt you, release the bad experience that you've had, give it over to God, make sure that you don't harbor anything that would hold you back in moving forward today. Cool? So can I ask right now, if you need healing in your heart, maybe you're, you're saying, I'm, I'm old, I'm, I've been living here for years, I'm old Detroit as far as the way you said, but I, I need healing because I've, I've been messed up by church. Or maybe you're saying, Paul, yeah, I've had bad, you know, I've closed my heart off and, and uh, there, there are, you know, and I've, I've seen people open themselves up to weird, strange things because they respond to negative experiences in reaction. And whenever we're being led by reaction, we wind up in error, oftentimes. But God can use the negative experiences to be a catalyst to have a seek and find truth and seek and find uh, Him. But in any case, if you need healing, can I ask you right here, right in this moment, close your eyes, and here's the good news, Jesus is healer. And it's as simple as turning your heart authentically and realistically to him and simply asking, God, I need healing. You are the healer and I'm asking you. I'm asking you. And you said, ask and it will be given. Seek and you shall find. A knock and the door shall be opened. I'm asking you to bring healing and inviting you and submitting to your leadership through the process of healing. And I believe that the Lord would have you be encouraged, if you are responding to that right now, the Lord would have you to be encouraged that when you do that, it is his way to turn around that which was supposed to destroy you to become the very thing that catalyzes your higher level of purpose in this world. It actually brings you forward into his purpose for you. It has... This is your opportunity, and it begins with simply acknowledging, God, I need help. Please, guys, let's not camp around our unhealed conditions and expect the purpose of God to be fulfilled. We need to be healed if we're going to heal. Secondly, if there is anything of uh, closeness with the people in this room, 
I just want to encourage you right now, trust for the grace of God to love as he loves and to not allow there to be any dividing wall uh, between you and any other person in this room or maybe anyone who's not represented in this room today. Can we do that? And having said that, I need three volunteers. Three bold volunteers. So look up here. Three bold volunteers. No way in God's green earth I'm choosing some of you. Three bold volunteers or else I will call on you. That's it. So you're going to force my hand. Okay. Uh, uh, Erica. Uh, uh, <laughs> that, was, that was so awkward. Yeah, Erica, that's good. I, I, yeah, that's cool. Let's come. Erica, no, 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 no. Erica, honestly, that's cool. Erica, you come up. No, sit down. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just... <laughs> okay, I need two more or else I'm going to... Uh... Is... Erica is a volunteer from Grace helping us with kids. We need some homegrown people here being willing to, to volunteer. Kurt, I'm going to call on you. And Peter. Peter, that's good. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Give these guys a clap for not for doing what you wouldn't be willing to do. Okay, so in the spirit of kind of Acts chapter 2, they were in the upper room, they were praying together, and they were all of one accord. They were in unity, praying together. And so these three people here represent very different different uh, people, people groups even. So Kurt, I'll start with you. Kurt, very quick, if I were to ask you, if you look around the room, maybe what, how would you feel is a way about you, your background, your, your makeup, your, your person that may make you not fit in or not be like other people in the room? Like how, what would that be? Well, first of all, beside maybe, you know, um, some, about two other people in this room, uh, everyone else would be considerably younger than I am. Okay. Uh, I, <laughs> which two? Is that what you said, Rodney? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, that, that, that would be one thing. Uh, second thing that is like different and not different is that um, I grew up in Saginaw, uh, Bay City area, which is not only not Detroit, it's also kind of a smaller town-ish, which is kind of an interesting juxtaposition from the fact that my parents were actually raised in Detroit. So, okay. so yeah. there you go. Yeah, stay here if you could. That's. That, that, listen guys, that is real, what he just said, about, about age. Okay, so Peter. I'm not a millennial. If you were, yeah, not a millennial, honestly. And that's, that is a real thing. So Peter, what would make you feel, perhaps, about you, that would make you say, look around here, why would you not sit in? What, what would make you different that would make you feel out of place, maybe? Nothing, I guess. Nothing, you guess. 
not know. Well, where'd yeah, you, grow? Where'd you grow? South Africa, so yeah. Okay, so he's essentially culturally not even American, except for the last nine months, and having American kid uh, parents. Um, and so, Erica, what, what about you? What, Where do you live? Warren. Warren. Okay, it's close. So it's close. I'm working on a dissertation. I don't know if that's different. Okay. Um, I don't know. I went to school at Wayne State. I feel like this is like for a couple of different degrees. So okay. I love Detroit. I don't okay. know. Okay, I'm trying to actually, you, you fit in too much here, Erica. <laughs> um, what, yeah, what makes you weird? <laughs> um, Okay, that's good. Uh, there's another... <laughs> What's that? I live with my mom. She lives with her mom. I live with my mom. Okay, right. So I, I would say maybe one thing is you're not married. Right. So you could hang around married people and perhaps that would feel like I don't fit in with them. Um, and one thing that's not represented here is this is a very culturally homogenous color of skin representation up here right now that is grossly misrepresentative of the city that we live in. Um, so people who might be, you know, of another race, you know, I was talking to a Mexican guy earlier today and et cetera, et cetera, could feel weird. That's real. Am I right? Those are real differences. I'd like us all to stand. And could I, um, could I ask these three here, and you guys can just kind of participate with them but in an act of expressing our unity in the spirit of Acts chapter 2 where we, they were praying in the upper room, I would like to ask each of these to pray for the one on the right. Um, so Kurt, you pray for Peter. Peter, you pray for Erica. Erica, you pray for Kurt. So based on those differences, and let's all just be in that spirit of unity uh, and embracing one another and embracing this moment of we are blessing one another. So just pray blessing over them as a, a non-millennial to a millennial and as a, you know, as a, as a, as a young person to a assistant principal or a principal or something. You got promoted to principal. Awesome. Well done. So let's pray. All right. All right, Lord, I thank you right now, God, for for this new generation, God, for the representation that uh, Peter is of this new generation, God, that is just uh, even now becoming into adulthood, God. I thank you, Lord, that, um, that they are not too young to be able to be participants in uh, this, uh, in this uh, body and uh, in the world. I thank you, God, that they have things to say, and I just bless that. Lord, I thank you for Peter, God, that he has uh, uh, some... Uh, more global experiences that we do, God, that you will help him to be able to manage to bring the wisdom that he has from ha having had lived overseas, but also is able to bring that uh, into our context, God, and help us, God, who are culturally Americans, God, to see things uh, from a different way. I thank you, God, for the diversity, God, that he brings, God. I thank you, God, that you will help him, God, that he will will not see um, uh, these things, God, as something to be separating him, God, but it's actually something that brings diversity to all of us, God. And I thank you, God, that you'll be with him, God, and that you um, will help him to uh, really 
be able to celebrate uh, the, the ways that he's different and be able to uh, bless our lives. And I just thank you, God, for what a blessing he is in this house, in this, uh, in this family. I just thank you for him right now in Jesus' name. So Peter sometimes struggles with, with getting his words out in, in public as far as a stutter is concerned, so he prefers not to pray. So I'm going to pray, pray for him or with him instead, okay? So Father, we thank you for, for Erica. We thank you, God, for who she represents. Lord, there are um, the wonderful things that she represents, but there's also the, the very real struggle sometimes of not feeling in a, as a... Uh, an adult, non-married uh, person in a church context can struggle in, in terms of connecting with other marrieds. Father, we're praying uh, for that group. We want to pray, Father, for integration of, of relationships. We want to pray that there would not be any division of any kind. We want to pray, Father, that, um, that there would be, a, in this church, there would be a welcoming and uh, an embracing and a knitting together uh, of married couples with unmarried, vice versa, in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, I just pray for Kurt, Father God, and Lord, for the wisdom that he brings, Father God, Lord, with the life experience, Father, behind his age, Lord God, that it is a strength here. And Father, I just thank you, Lord, for his, um, for his serving on the worship team, Father God, and Lord, even for... Um, for his marriage with Anna, Father God, that what a blessing they are, Lord God. I pray for him as the head of his family, Father God, that he would just continue to look to you, Father God, and as he follows you, he leads his family in that direction. I thank you for the, the young men of God that he's raising in that home, and God, I just thank you that, um, that others uh, will look at their godly example, Father, as his godly example, as the head of his home, Father God, and that they would really model the love of Christ, and they would see the love of Christ played out in their home, Father, God, and that that fruit, Father God, would be attractive to those that maybe don't know love or don't know um, what it looks like in the context of marriage. And so, God, I just thank you for the example that they bring and the wisdom, Father God, and Lord, that um, that the difference is actually a strength, Father God, and it's a model of, um, of what you have designed, Father, in um, your institution of marriage. And I thank you for that, God, in Jesus' name. Lord, as, as it's said in your word that they were in one accord, in one place, they were together. Lord, we, we choose as your church here in this place that you have brought together. We recognize the hand of the Lord has brought us together. And perhaps in some ways it doesn't, it, there can be a hiccup naturally, but Lord, we choose to look beyond the natural and to see your hand, to look to you and to dive in by faith into what you are doing here, unite ourselves to you, and in that to unite ourselves with one another. Father, any division of any kind, any judgment, anything of that nature, Lord, we choose to embrace one another, and we ask you to knit us together as it, as it pleases you, that the gifts of the one would be able to find uh, receptivity in, in, in the heart of another, and, and that every person would find their place of giving and receiving so that we could become the unit to, to impact the city as you have called us.
We give ourselves to you, Jesus. We do declare you are our Lord. You are our King. In Jesus' name, amen.